Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is building its Do Good Village in Lando Lakes, Florida. It's the first of its kind, a community of 110 homes for the foundation's program recipients. So together, families can heal. So together, families can help one another. A special place where families know that their neighbors understand and care. Make the Do Good Village the first of many. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It's Kelsey here today with DJ. We are here on Thanksgiving Day, a special Thanksgiving Day episode. Not really special, no different than any one of our episodes, but it just happens to be on Thanksgiving Day. Happy Thanksgiving, DJ. Everybody out there, happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you all, too. And happy of you to join us in the middle of some football games, in the middle of sitting out with your family, enjoying some turkey, and before the trip to Van kicks in, you take a nice nap afterwards. I know that's probably exactly what I'll be doing after we record this yeah. podcast. But no, everybody, uh, you know, it's great that you tuned in to us on this special day, you know, holiday. We've got Black Friday coming up tomorrow. Lots of big deals. But that brings us to a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, something I've been super excited to do since we started this podcast oh, almost two years ago. It has been a long time coming, but we can finally say we have a partnership in this game of podcasting. Fanatics.com, we have partnered with. If you don't know who Fanatics are, think of NFL Shop, MLB Shop, NHL Shop, NBA Shop.com. They're the people that own all of them. So any team, any sport, any jersey you need, Fanatics.com has what you need. I know uh, me personally, 
getting a Joe Burrow jersey soon is uh, kind of the goal. Um, hopefully he gets gets better soon. The final stamp in your Bengal, Bengals fandom is what it sounds like. Yeah, you know it's 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 coming soon. And, and you know for those who don't know, I am a big guy. They do have big and tall sizes in jerseys and t-shirts and jer- and and hoodies. So all sorts of stuff. Don't think it's just for those small guys out there. Uh, the big guys get some loving too in the jerseys land. You were definitely not understating when you said you were a big guy. Oh man, look, you know I got to do what I can. You know, I we I, remember we saw Miles Garrett when we went to the Minnesota game last year and. Well, uh, he made me look small, and that was the only time in my life I've ever smelt, felt small. Yeah, he made you look small and slow at the same time, and he was sitting down, so I don't know how yeah. that's possible. But I bring that game up just because I will say this. Jerseys and t-shirts you order from Fanatics.com do get there really quick. I know I ordered a Timberwolves t-shirt before we went, and, well, it didn't take too long for me to get it get it in. Uh, we got it the day actually we left, so ordered it two days earlier, got in perfect in time. So um, don't worry, guys. Your, your presents will get there in time for the holidays. Um, all that coming up, but just click on the link in the bio or check out unhingedsn.com and there'll be more information there and more links you can click on there. Now, with my very first ad read out of the way, I'm super excited to finally do that. Glad that's over. No harm, no foul. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Happy here, Thanksgiving. Here we go, folks. The dad jokes are coming in. But no, it is time for the main event. The reason we are all gathered here today, and I'm not talking about the turkey, I'm not talking about the pumpkin pie, or that cranberry stuff that comes out of a can that looks all weird. I still don't understand it. We are here today to talk college football rivalries. The top five college football rivalries, in our opinion now. They might be different, they might be the same. Honestly, we'll probably have a couple of the same. But you sit there and look at rivalries all over the place. This is kind of the traditional weekend of them. Um, going on, you know, we, with COVID, I think we only have two of the traditional games going on this weekend, but there's still a good slate of football games tomorrow. And some of these will be the rivalry games we talk about. Some of those got postponed and some actually happened a little earlier than normal. Basically it's an, it's a mess all around, but nonetheless, rivalries are what make college football great. It's why a lot of people prefer college football to the NFL or so. I like this topic. This should be a fun one. We get to look at which ones really drive fan bases insane to where they hate people just for their choice in teams. Yeah, it's all over the place. It happens everywhere. Um, you know, I guess since I usually let you get started on this one, DJ, I'm going to I'm gonna go first this time. I can tell that you've been itching for this one. Like, you've been scratching yourself all day like a nervous tick trying to get get this going. Look, you know, maybe it's the tryptophan in my, in my blood. I, don't, I can't tell, but it's something. something's getting me going for this one. I'm excited. But to get me going, number five on my list it's the one, it's the only, it's the Holy War. BYU, Utah. As a person who grew up in Utah, learned how to play football in the state of Utah, I can tell you from an experience, this is one of those type of things that they ask you from day one, well, which one are you, BYU or Utah? Do you bleed blue or bleed red? Well, uh, folks, I don't even know. To this day, I didn't actually have a choice when I was there. I, I ended up picking Utah, inevitably, uh, but that is honestly because I'm not Mormon. Because really when it comes down to it, this rivalry is dictated by, unfortunately, Mormons versus non-Mormons. And that's kind of how it breaks down. And this is, I mean, there's no joke when they say this is the holy war, this is the holy war. This is quite literally, it breaks the state into Mormons versus non-Mormons from the day the schedule is released. They might as well just have a trophy in the shape of a Bible, honestly. I mean, like. Uh, you know, honestly, I couldn't find a trophy for them. I didn't, didn't know if there was. I imagine there is at this point. There's a trophy for literally everything. Um, but I didn't see a trophy for this one, but I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at that. Or, you know, maybe it's, uh, the guy who founded Mormonism. It's maybe, uh, maybe a picture of him. I don't know. God's blessing for the winner and God's wrath for the loser. I don't know. 
Yeah, you know, one of the coolest traditions of this game, though, they, uh, they, there's a U up on Sa- in, in Salt Lake City on one of the mountains. And uh, it's kind of just like, this is our capital. Hey, there's a U up there for Utah. Um, anyways, uh, the University of Utah will go up and light it up red. That's cool. If they lose, BYU students go up and change the bulbs to blue now. It used to actually get painted every year, but then they stopped painting it for environmental reasons. And so now it gets up there with red lights for Utah wins and blue lights for BYU wins. That's cool. That's a fun little thing to get both both schools and, honestly, the communities rallied because Utah's not a huge state. There's not a whole lot else around there besides Salt Lake City, and that's a good way to kind of bring the whole state, get them all rallied behind one thing. Exactly. And, you know, this one, the, one of the really interesting things I, I learned about this game, kind of looking up some more stats for it, the record for the game is 62-34-4. But there's a caveat to this. BYU doesn't recognize, recognize the first six games in which they lost all, three, all six games at the time, but they do not recognize the first six games these teams played. Can we do that? Because I'd like to just recognize a lot of my L's I've caught throughout life, especially I probably think of six of them I'd just like to take out. Hell, they all probably happened six in a row, too, and I'll be just fine with it. You know, there's something about teams claiming things that might be on this list later on mm. that, uh, yeah, I evidently you can if you're a college football program, but for the rest of us, I don't think it works that way. We don't get that lucky. I don't know. We'll see. I need to become a college football program then. Exactly. I mean, hey, they want to pay me $10 million a year. I'll be a college football program. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right. Anyway. Sorry, Nick Saban. <laughs> um, but no, okay. So number four. I moved on from the Holy War. Just so happens I'm moving to another type of red versus blue game. And I feel like this is a very big theme in this whole list for me. Somehow it's red versus blue. Uh, this one's a little different. This is Crimson versus Navy. Harvard versus Yale. Okay. The OG. One of I can't say the OG, but it's one of the OGs. I mean, these guys have been playing football since the day football was created. They are quintessential to the game of football. Still, it's like watching these games is, is pure amateurism at its finest. I mean, they may not be the best players in the world. They may not be guys you'll see on Sundays. But going into the stadiums, seeing this small, quaint, you know, very, very emotionally filled stadium, it reminds you exactly why the college game is so great. It's amateurism at its finest. Um, it has a different level of excitement on top of it because it's purely the game, more or less. Exactly. It, it, is, it, is a, it is a beautiful, intimate experience. It is on my bucket list of games to go see. Um, that is just one of the ones that I am just like, one day. One day I'll go. Uh, but on top of that, you know, it usually decides the Ivy League's winner. And they are in FCS, but that means it goes to a playoff. You know, the winner of the, that, that, that league goes to, the, goes to a playoff. And that's huge. Absolutely huge. And it is probably one of the more competitive games I saw on the list of, like, 100 or so freaking rivalries I looked at. This is 68 wins, 60 losses, and 8 ties in favor of Yale. 8 games. 8 years this separates. And that's not including the years they played twice a year back in the days. So this is incredible. I mean, this is one of the more competitive ones I saw. Um... There are a couple more competitive ones <laughs> that I actually picked up on, but this is one of those games. This is, to me, this is OG. This is quintessential. This is college football at its finest. But on the flip side of things, my number three, the game. I hate it. It's literally called the game. <laughs> it features a team that tried to trademark the word the, but it's they pronounce it or they try to trademark the word the, and it's pronounced the for them somehow. I don't want to get it. The, and the, them, thou, though, thou, thee. If you don't know who I'm talking about, the Ohio State University, 
versus Michigan every year in the game. It's either in the horseshoe or the big house. You name it. It's a terrible game. I'm just kidding. It just I'm not a Michigan fan. I'm not an Ohio State fan. It's probably one of the more exciting games every year. Just just be honest. You kind of hate both of them, honestly. I 100% hate, I hate both of them. Um, but you know what? I got to give it respect where it's due. This one has history on its side. You look at the coaching matchups over the years. You had Hayes versus Beckler. You had you know Jim Trestle in his day. You had Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Carr, yeah. You have now Urban Meyer most recently. Jim Ryan, Harbaugh. Ryan Day's looking good. Exactly. Jim I mean, Harbaugh not so much. Well, yeah, no, he's ready to go. Um, and then don't forget, I mean, this one has probably one of the best traditions I've ever heard of. Ohio State, the week of the game, all over their campus, covers up the letter M. Everywhere. How, how, how crazy, how dedicated to a, a, a thing do you have to be to go and just cover up all the M's on your, on your campus? And this is not a small campus, mind you. Their campus is not like a one square meter, mile, whatever you want to call it. This is a sprawling campus. It's like a couple city blocks. It's its own county, basically. Like, it's got, that's a lot of M's to cover up. And at the same time, what about people whose names have M in them? Like, do they just not refer to them like... If your name is Michael, you just called Eichel for a while. Yeah, evidently, yeah, that's what the uh, that's what the the bio I saw said. They they just don't refer to the, any of the M's in your letter, uh, which is crazy. I mean, that's crazy to think about. I mean, these two teams they've combined for over thirty Big Ten titles. That this, this the winner has has decided thirty Big Ten titles. How crazy is that? Like you were literally deciding a conference thirty different times. That's thirty years. That's older than us. Well, almost older than us, but. Yeah. I'm still hung up on the M thing because I'm looking back at some of the more recent players. So many of them don't have an M in there, and so don't have to worry about it. Like, there's Ali Cooker and Arshon Lattimore, but everyone else, they have, like, Joey Bosa, nothing to worry about. Nick Bosa, nothing to worry about. Chase Zeke, Young. nothing. Like, there's – I feel like they recruit people as long as they don't have the letter M just for this occasion, with a few small exceptions. Yeah, exactly. And they don't even refer to them as Michigan. When it's Michigan week, it's not Michigan week. It is that team up North's week. <laughs> they, they've literally gotten that dedicated to this whole thing that it is the, that team up North. And it's ironic because Michigan leads the series, 58 wins to 51 losses and six ties. So, well, we all kind of know how this one's going to go this year. 58 wins, 52 losses, six ties. But still, <laughs> you know, it is it is one of the more competitive games besides the Harvard-Yale game I just mentioned. It's it's fantastic to watch. Um, but, I, 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 you know, if I could wish for any game to end in a tie every year, it's always Michigan-Ohio State because, well, I don't like seeing either one. Let the hate flow three. <laughs> And number two, this one's going to catch some flack. I already know it. Um, I'm sorry, everybody out there. I'm sorry, family members. I'm sorry, family members. And I'm sorry, more family members. Uh, I didn't put this at number one, but, you know, sorry. Army, Navy. Okay, I respect it. I, You know, they literally are given their own weekend to play this game on. Like, everybody. Everybody has a rooting interest in this game. Literally from me to you to our dogs, they all have a rooting interest in this game because somebody's family member somewhere was either a member of the Army or a member of the Navy at some point in time. I don't know. It's crazy. So literally there are fans of this program, or of this game, from day one to day one million for however long college football is going. This will forever be one of those games. Um, kind of like Harvard Yale in that matter. But uh, this one, this one is the uh, for me. It's it's still amateurism at its finest. These both of these programs, they play their home games on very small, intimate fields. They're not very big. Uh, they are going to MetLife in 2021, which I thought was like, really? What are you guys? 
But all right, whatever. Well, they need somebody to win in MetLife because no one's doing it these days. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Sorry, very true. too real to that. Should I have sugarcoated that one a little bit? No, I think that's pretty accurate. That's uh, it's probably the most accurate thing I've seen uh, recently coming out of MetLife. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, they've uh, you know besides the fact that it's literally its own weekend, they have a very cool tradition that I never really heard about. I don't really hear about it much on the on the news. I guess because maybe it's a taboo topic. It's called the prisoner exchange. Have you ever heard of this this tradition? Break it down for me, because I don't know if this is I don't know if we need to go too far into this. But so every year, every fall, students at, at the Naval Academy and students at at the Army Cadet School are sent to the opposite school's program, and they learn and study at the sister location. Well, when Army Navy game rolls around, these students are escorted back to their program or back to their original school. So Army students that are over studying at at the Naval Academy are escorted back to the Army cadets, and they are handed back over in a prisoner exchange for the naval students studying in, at Army at West Point. And so it's, it's, it's considered a prisoner exchange, if you will. That is a different sort of extra that I was not prepared for on this day. It was honestly probably one of the cooler, like, interesting things. Like, it's like, whoa, okay, that's kind of weird. But at the same time, that's really cool. That's, that's a kind of an interesting it caveat gets- to the whole abducting of the, the mascot. No, no, we just abduct some of your students for a whole semester. And it's literally the whole semester, not just for a fun little rivalry week sort of thing. It's like, no, we're, we're stealing you for a little... You're going to learn in some of the education you paid for will go on here. Exactly. And that's... I mean, it's one of those cool things you see, uh, you know, programs, especially our military programs, they kind of learn that way. It's really cool to see. Uh, but on top of that, you know, this is definitely in the epitome of sportsmanship between this game. Both the winner and the loser stand together in midfield after the game. doesn't matter if Army blows out Navy or Navy blows out Army... Or it's a quadruple overtime game and mud everywhere. They stand together in the middle of the field and first face the losers t- team, losers fans, and they they sing the alma mater together for that that losing program. They then turn to the winning program side and do the same thing together as one unit. You know, t- both Army and Navy together. I don't think I've seen anything sportsmanship related like this in the history of ever. It's definitely one of a kind. Like. It's almost weird to have them on this list because it is so different than all other rivalries because it's just a whole – it's almost in another category if it makes sense. Yeah, like it is a rivalry, yeah, but like is it though – like it, it's more of a if – me, if, if me, you, and our buddies got together and had a goof around game every year and the winner got a trophy uh, – one-third of a trophy, but you go to the other guy's house and you have to win, beat him and get the other third of the trophy – it's kind of what it is. But at the same time, every person we've ever met is interested in it at the same exactly, time. Exactly, yeah. It's a very interesting type of rivalry, that's for sure. It's very unique in its own. For all of these other ones are apples, this is the pair of the group for sure. 100%. And uh, this one is actually surprising. I, this one surprised me, I can't lie. When I was looking at the record, 61-52-7 to Navy. I thought Army had the hold on this one, but I was very wrong. I guess Navy's. I think Army's taken in the more recent, like our more recent memory. But Navy, they basically took it at the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Like they were running with way with it early, and then it started to balance itself out. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And uh, in case anybody's wondering, the trophy for the ex- for only the Army Navy game, it is the Secretary's Trophy. It is one third of a much larger trophy, the Commander in Chief Trophy. Uh, it forms a triangle with the Air Force Trophy. Uh, I'm not sure which what the name of the Air Force Trophy is, but basically. If I beat if, if let's say I'm Army and I beat you who's Navy, we get the Secretary's trophy. And then if I also beat Air Force and you beat Air Force, you get Air Force trophy 
and then been beating you, I get Air Force's trophy from you, and I get Air Force's other trophy. So I have three parts of the same trophy that go together to create the Commander-in-Chief trophy. This is just a fun little magical triangle they're playing with, but while the rest of us are playing chess, they're playing a whole different type of like three-dimensional checkers. Exactly. It, it, is a, it is a game within a game. I mean, for non-conference teams like them, it is kind of their own conference championship, really. So... It is fascinating to see because they are one of those programs that back in the day they were a powerhouse, both of them were, and now they are unfortunately not considered the top tier, but they are still D1, they are still competitive, and they still probably have some of the more interesting games and player management that anybody else can see. They can still be some D1 teams too, very very easily. Exactly. But for my my last one, my fifth one, my piece de resistance, if you will. Gee, I wonder which one this one's going to be. The homerism came hard in this one. Mm. Uh, The Iron Bowl is my number one. Auburn, Alabama. And now if you had asked me this question 10 years ago, in 2010, I would not have given you the Iron Bowl as number one. I'd say it was number two. But after the experiences of the last 10 years of Auburn, Alabama games, being there, being on campus, being a part of it, this game is different. (laughs) Like, it's different there is no if ands or buts about it there's just something about it is just 100 percent different it was originally first of all in case anybody doesn't know it was originally played in birmingham that's where the name iron bull came up because there's a lot of iron facilities in birmingham and uh up until 2000 they did not play a home and home like most rivalries all like from 1989 until 2000 only auburn played at home because tuscaloosa didn't have a big enough stadium so in 2000, Tuscaloosa finally had a big enough stadium, and they could play home-and-homes like you would know them today, which is very interesting because most of these other rivalries have been home-and-home rivalries for in a very long time, but Auburn-Alabama is a neutral site game for most of its time period. Um, it's always Thanksgiving weekend, uh, except for between 93 and 07, when they actually moved it up a week. Both schools decided they were like, yeah, you know, Let's move our game up a week so we can cheat and have a bye week before our champion, conference championships. So, you know, literally just like playing the system to be like, oh, yeah, we get a free game before our conference championships, which is great. Fantastic. Uh, you know, except for Alabama would play like UC Chattanooga and then they'd play Auburn, whereas Auburn would play like Georgia and then Alabama and then they'd have a bye. So they'd probably like, you know, fall apart. And then, Anyways, I digress <laughs> before I get too out of hand on that one. But only reason both schools changed back, SEC was finally like, no, in comparison, uh, that's that's not very fair to everybody else. So uh, you guys need to fix your shit and uh, go back to normal. Um, so that's why now they don't have a bye week until like week seven on both programs. And they only get one bye week. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, but this is, this is like a lot like the Holy War, a lot like Army-Navy. This does separate families. This does separate coworkers. Hmm. This does separate states, counties. You name it, it separates it. Honestly, if me and you were different fans, when it came time for this game on Saturday, I would not be sitting near you. Um, I've done it, and let me tell you, it is not a fun experience. If I was a Crimson Tide fan, I wouldn't sit around me either. I mean, I'd have my, I'd have my <laughs> own set of issues that I'd have to deal with. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, this, this game is a whole other level, and if you don't believe me, well, let's just say there has been people sent to jail over this rivalry people have poisoned trees over this rivalry yeah it's kind of hard to get over tree poisoning like okay you have a you have a tradition auburn has this tradition in case anybody doesn't know anytime they win they roll the tumors trees it started back in the day when they first started the program 
as a way of notifying Auburn fans that Auburn had won an away game because it took so long for the telegrams to get there. So they would hang a roll, they'd stick some toilet paper from Tumor's Corner's grocery store up on the tree, and that would be the way to, to you know, sort of see it. Well, in 2010, after Auburn won a national championship, after the comeback, lo and behold, and in Tuscaloosa, a man by the name of Harvey Updike decided he wanted to come to Auburn, Alabama, and poison all of the trees along Tumor's Corner. Not just like one tree, not two trees. It was about seven altogether. And these oaks have been in, in Auburn for 100 plus years. And they were traditionally there. They were what we always rolled. They were always a part of it. And it resulted in something like 10 to 20 criminal charges raised against Harvey Updike. Uh, he's completely banned from seeing any games in Tuscaloosa. He is on house arrest now. I don't know if he's been sentenced yet. I was, you know, uh, but the, you know, at one point in time, he did get beat up on the side of the road because an Auburn fan saw him and recognized him and chased him down on a, which is terrible. And it's horrible. You should never react this way, but this is exactly how far this, this rivalry has gone. There has been a whole criminal case about poisoning trees because somebody didn't like somebody else winning a game. That, that only happens in the South. There's yeah. South and Florida. Those are the only two places that would happen. Exactly. And, well, how close they are to Florida does make sense. But on the flip <laughs> side of this rivalry, it is one of the more interesting ones because it is a lot like family. In the tornadoes that tore apart Tuscaloosa, one of the biggest supporters of the rebuild in Tuscaloosa were Auburn graduates, Auburn students, Auburn family, because we all had friends and family that went to Tuscaloosa. We were all a part of it. We the most of the people volunteering were coming from that half of the state to go to Tuscaloosa and help. Um, so it is one of those things in, in times of strife, they stick together, but in game time, it's game time and you stay away from me. So there's a very interesting dynamic between the two. Uh, also interestingly enough, just going through the records, 46, 37 and one is what Alabama leads us by since 2000. When they actually started the home and home games though, 11 and nine Auburn. Now, interestingly enough in these games, 34, of their 84 total games have featured at least one of the teams as a top five team. It's pretty much mandatory. At least one of them has to be in there every time. Exactly. So it is, it is absolutely one of those games that has a deciding factor when it comes to the national picture, the conference picture, the state picture. So much so that in, my, in researching this list – it is the only rivalry game I have found that has national legislation involved to get these two programs back together to play. In case anybody doesn't know, between 1944 and it was like 1947, 1948, they did not play a single game. And it got to the point where they threatened to withhold their national funding for both schools as state-funded schools until they got on, a, on the same page to begin their athletic programs together. So not only is this a rivalry on the field and off the field, it is a rivalry in the government and in legislature. How? Who? What? What do you like? What like, <laughs> A government body got involved because the rivalry wasn't happening and it was bad for the state of Alabama. Like, how crazy is that? You literally only see that in Alabama. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say. Honestly, it's like that is the most Alabama sentence I've ever heard. No, exactly right. And and it's funny because in 1944, when this first when they first started the band, it was went on board that the board of trustees from Alabama literally said, 
you know, we it would put a hyper focus on the state of Alabama and football in the state of Alabama, and we don't want that. We don't want Alabama to be focused on just football. Well, okay, they have a good point because, well, inevitably, what do you think of when you say they think of the state of Alabama? Well, football, football, and football. It's pretty much all I think about. So it is crazy to say, think like historically how this rivalry has been shaped by all sorts of aspects. And that's why it's number one to me is just everything that's happened in the last 10 years, plus in the history of it, researching this. It's it's really crazy just how that has panned out. But so, DJ, you've heard my list. It's crazy. It's fanatical. What about you? What's your list? So I'm going to say your family disowned you. They're going to disown me, too, because I left Army and Navy off my list in part just because I felt it was a pair compared to apples we were comparing. Obviously, all the stuff you listed – that's a, it has all those check marks. I just put it in a different category because, I don't know, I just put it in a different category because of the nature of how they play, where they play, that sort of thing. It's not a traditional college football powerhouse matchup. It's Naval and Army Academies that are playing football, if that makes sense. Not 100%. I definitely get that, and that was, the, trust me, this the, was a contemplation like when so I was like... This feels so blasphemous. Like, I almost feel like I'm going to be sent to federal prison or Guantanamo <laughs> Bay for this. Uh, don't rate us with one star if you're listening on Apple Podcast right now. <laughs> well, here comes the half stars here. So I'm going to start with a rivalry that I hate, but at the same time, it's a big one. Iowa versus Iowa State, the Cyhawk game. Probably the coolest, one of the coolest trophies. A Cyhawk trophy, that just sounds menacing. Like That oh, sounds like some pterodactyl stuff. It looks awesome, too. Exactly. So the reason I picked this one is Iowa, as everyone can probably figure out, doesn't have a professional sports team, no MLB. So this is kind of it. This is, to quote the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all for the Iowa, for the Iowa area, and even Nebraska, too, because people in there get invested in this one, too, because... Cornhusker fans hate both of these, especially. Yeah, and, well, Cornhusker fans have had nothing to really cheer yeah. for lately, too, so. You said it, not me, but. <laughs> the only reason this one's not, honestly, higher is they don't even play in the same conference. That's what kind of kills. If they were in the same conference, I think this could have been, I think you see people poisoning corn stalks, more or less, over this one, considering they'd be causing it, they'd be in trouble for conference championship-style games. Yeah, and you think poisoning trees were bad. Imagine poisoning a whole, like, plot of corn corn stalks. Oh, man, you that's, that's. High-level criminal acts. Like poisoning the hogs? I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong there. It's kind of one-sided. I mean, they've had 67 total meetings, and Iowa's got 45 of them, including a 57-3 is the largest victory, and have won five straight, and they had a 15 streak. So it's been pretty one-sided. But nonetheless, you ask any Iowa State fan, 365 days of the year, they're going to smoke the Hawkeyes and vice versa. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I know that's the way with a lot of rivalries too, but this is one there's almost no other distractions. Really. I mean, there's nowhere, there's not any other major universities. If it's there's U and I is the only other one, but they don't really have a interstate rival. When they play these two, it's kind of almost like U and I is a blowout most of the time. Even though last time Iowa State played them, it was very, very, very close. But yeah. this is interesting enough. This is the probably I, I know you've seen it, but the Iowa Hawkeye has a train that takes people to the game, and uh, evidently so does Iowa State on the other side of the state. They have a train that takes people to the game, and it's one's the cy- cyclone tra- tra- or trail, and the other one's the Hawkeye trail, or something like that. Exactly, like it's just kind of one of those. It's just an interesting type of game because of how much it means to so many different people with so little in between. Like, there's no other way about it. Exactly. So you talked a lot about tradition when it, and history with, with some of, with your last book with Auburn and Alabama. I'm gonna go with one that has absolutely no current day cares, but is filled with tradition. What Notre Dame and USC. Ah, uh, the Golden Shillelagh. Exactly. They have played 91 times. Notre Dame has a lead 47, 36, and 5. So 
that's just how close it is when you think about it. like it is actually really close if you those five just take those off it's an 11 game spread more difference out of 91 Notre Dame has the biggest margin of victory 51 to nothing so there's a, there's a complete bubble up in there they have the longest win streak of 11 and then they have the current streak of three because USC kind of sucks now unfortunately they have not been the same since Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush destroyed them I mean left yeah, I mean, well, hey, they during that time period, they did win, I think it was six straight over Notre Dame, including the Bush-Push game. So, the Bush-Push uh, is synonymous with people who have grown up that are basically 35 or under. The Bush-Push is a synonymous term. Every time we see anything like that, like when we were watching the Colts and Packers game, running back pushes quarterback, Bush-Push, Yeah, it has its own phrase, basically. And these two are traditionally elite programs. I mean, they've won a combined 39 national championships and 14 Heisman trophies. With the, If you take Alabama out of it because they're freakish the last, like, 20 years, nobody else is in comparison with these two necessarily. Yeah. See, it's it's basically just considered one of the best ones. And they're not even really in the same conference. They just play every year. It's, like it's, it's definitely one of the more fantastic ones because with Notre Dame being a non-conference, well, up until this year, being a non-conference team, that was the peak of their schedule. Exactly, and most of the time, the winner of this series goes on to win or play for the college football national title before the college football playoff. Now the recent alignment's gone. This is this one's on here for history more than recent. I mean, I know Notre Dame's number two right now in the latest college football poll, or I guess the first one of this year. Yeah. And the last time they were in the playoff, they got slapped upside the head by like thirty-eight to nothing by Clemson. I think it was. So. <laughs> and the time before that was not even meaning closer. So. Yeah, it's been a little bit rough recently. And Notre and USC's still just USC right now. They're not the same, but. And they're also known for the amount of people they get drafted. I mean, over the years, let's see, College Football of Famers to 52 for Notre Dame, 35 for USC, 13 Hall of Famers for Notre Dame, 12 for USC. That is 25 Hall of Famers from these two schools. Think about some some of the names that came out of that. Joe Montana, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews' dad. I don't, I don't, is it Clay Matthews Sr., maybe? Anyways. Um, Yeah, but those are just like recent players. Tatupu and Lofa Tatupu. Troy Polamalu, like there's names on names on names. You could find Carson Palmer. Carson, yeah, and if you go, you can go back even farther. O.J. Simpson. There's so many Hall of Fame players in this rivalry. I know none of those guys are necessarily a Hall of Fame, but they're college football Hall of Fame. Well, players. hey, O.J.'s. Well, yeah, he's an NFL Hall of Famer, but you see what I'm getting at? Is there's <laughs> just, you have, you have such a long list of names, and basically, let's see. There's one other thing. Okay, yeah, they have the most NFL players drafted, just drafted. You know, USC has 502, Notre Dame has 495. No rivalry in college football has that many. That is literally, no. that is 1,000, give or take, a few less than 1,000. After this year, it'll be 1,000 players have gone to the NFL from these two schools. Easily, yeah. This is one of those ones. I grew up a Notre Dame fan, and I, I left it off my list because of recent events and because I have such terrible memories of the mid-2000s and the Bush push. Um, I remember staying up at night watching that game. Tyrone Willingham was his coach and being like, oh, Notre Dame's finally going to win. They're finally going to win. And then Matt Leinert lines up for a freaking quarterback sneak. And here comes Reggie freaking Bush flying and crushing Matt Leinert into the end zone. And I'm just like, great. Just great. This is, this is, and then Brady Quinn, Jeff Samarja team was fantastic. They sh- should have had a chance. Brady Quinn probably should still should have been an NFL quarterback, but going to the Browns will kind of kill your career. Yeah. But no, this is I, I love that pick because they were just just off of my list because of recent memory. Honestly, if they were any better recently, I'd probably have them higher on too. Like, but at the same time, if the way things are going, they could drop right off this list if we did it again in like two years. So I mean, like, they're unfortunately like that's why they're kind of a four there in that. Oh, you got to be quicker than that. Oh, you're actually a lot better <laughs> than that though. Like, it's yeah. it goes back and forth so dramatically. 
Number three, I'm going to go real, real, real small on everybody. We're jumping out of the major Division One college football. We're going to go to FCS football, which kind of sucks. It's not going on right now. It's waiting. It's go postponed till spring. The Brawl of the Wild, probably. Oh, we talked it. about Cyhawk, but Brawl of the Wild, Montana versus Montana State. Basically, the winner gets what's called the Great Divide Trophy, and this is very similar to Iowa and Iowa State, where you have literally nothing else in the state. These are the two teams. No professional teams, no other universities. These two going at it, and the entire state rallies behind them. Each stadium has roughly twenty to 22,000 capacity, yet the record for the Montana Grizzly Stadium, I believe, is like 26,000. So it just shows how people show up for these type of games. It's been a bit one-sided as Montana leads at 72-41-5. And, and Montana has a 79 to nothing win on that, including a 16 win streak from 86 to 2001. But the kicker that I think has this higher on the list is recently Montana State has won four in a row. They've and this one is always basically someone who's gonna get a seed in the FCS tournament or a big sky championship. This is kind of similar to Notre Dame USC in that regard. And it's kind of funny because we, I just talked about how much it means to everybody. So the Montana State coach, going before their last year, he had a losing record overall, but he got a contract <laughs> extension because he was three and zero against <laughs> University of Montana. That, I remember that. I remember. I remember that uh, that that news article coming out. Losing losing career coach or career losing coach gets a contract extension. Like, if we look at his three his three years before, four and seven his first year, but beat University of Montana. Five and six, but beat University of Montana. Eight and five, but got a playoff spot. And then they just went eleven and four in their most recent season in twenty nineteen. So they're he's twenty eight and two now, eighteen and fourteen in conference. And you know, honestly, I can say this is this is one of those games. I've experienced, you know, we experienced. I experienced one when I was in Montana, and I can tell you this was a this was a game that surprised me as far as a rivalry goes, because you said it yourself. The stadium capacity isn't that large at Montana Grizz Stadium, but bro. If I'm talking loud, like, it is the closest thing I've had an experience to of an SEC type of, type of environment in 20,000 people. Like, well, 20, I think that year was 25, 26. Should be 20 to 21. Somehow it ends up being 24, 25 somehow. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was no way it should be as loud as it is. And my ears were ringing. My eyes were shaking. I don't literally remember seeing a single play that my eyes weren't shaking like the balls in the air like i'm running and i'm sitting in the stands it was fantastic fantastic environment too and this is another one of those games that you know it separates the state 100 percent separates the state and i guess another thing i should mention too before any potential bobcat fans listening decide to come after me with pitchforks and knives so it is montana leading 72 41 five all time but since montana state joined the ncaa in 1951 it is 32 to 31. Montana. Wow. So that is basically as close as it gets. And basically, you win this game, it's an automatic bid to the FCS playoffs. The last time we saw them both, like they were, Montana State had to win to get in. Montana basically needed the win for a bye. Montana State won. At the end of the game, too, a late, if I'm not mistaken, this was the one that ended on a fumble at the one yard line. If not, it was the year before, one of those two years. And they both got in. They bo- it didn't go, end up going both their ways. They both won a playoff game but ended up losing. But it just kind of goes to show, not only does this bring an entire state together slash against each other simultaneously, it always has big-time playoff implications and is pretty dead even. Not just as, like, overall, there's a bit of a gap there, but if you want to just go since they joined the NCAA, it doesn't get any more even than that. No, it's, it's a fantastic game. Honestly, if you guys have never watched an FCS 
rivalry. Any any FCF game period. If you if you want to experience a lot like a FBS, you know SEC type of game, watch a a Grizz Cat game, and tell me it's not the exact same experience. It is the exact same. I don't care what anybody says. It might be rowdier because you're well. There's some people imbibing mm-hmm. in halftime because you can leave the stadium, come back that you can't do that in some other schools. But yeah, it's. One of the more fantastic games, and honestly, I don't think I've seen this stadium more beautiful than when it was played in in uh, on on Montana's campus. I, that was with the mountain behind you, with Sentinel behind you. It's one of the coolest atmospheres. The smoke sun settling coming, down, yeah, the sun coming up over the top. You can look down from the mountain and look down. A little bit of bias on this one, but at the same time, like there's a reason guys like Carson Wentz and Tony Romo say, "Oh yeah, that was the hardest environment to play in." Yeah, I definitely agree. I I, I love that pick, and honestly, I didn't. It didn't cross my mind when I was picking, just because I was like. I have all these other ones I'm forgetting. <laughs> like, I just the reason I think this put it over the top with some of those recent ones is the playoff implications it's had recently. That and I know, I know major college division one has the the playoff quote unquote. Yeah, they don't need a, they need a better playoff. This has like legit seating. Like okay, you win and you're in. You lose and you're out for both teams more or less. Exactly. Heck, two. I think three years ago, Montana State's kept kicked them out by beating them. Cause yeah, they, yeah. So number two. Going with yours, Auburn, Iron Bowl, Alabama. Yeah. Now you kind of covered literally everything from poison <laughs> trees to to camback to kick six. I mean, what else am I? Like, there's thousands of we could go on all day, but you kind of covered most of it. It doesn't get much better than this. And this is kind of my theme with my list is it rallies an area that doesn't have a whole lot else to go for. I mean, Alabama, you don't have any professional teams otherwise. It's not a. If I'm not mistaken, those are the two major universities. There's not really another one. Yeah, There's the, some colleges the, and other universities, but not big universities like this. Yeah, you have UAB and you have South Alabama, which South Alabama just joined D1. UAB just came back from the kill sentence, so we're still. And but they're both Conference USA and Sun Belt, so they're not. They're not the level of caliber of, of Auburn and Alabama. People can live in Alabama five hours away from either one of those two schools, and they still will get time off or, like, the, those area stations will still cover it and drive over there. Like, when that happens, that is the t- biggest thing happening in Alabama, and it's not even close. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's 100% the biggest. And, you know, you mentioned pro teams. The closest pro teams there, you got the Braves and Falcons in Atlanta, and then next to that is Jacksonville. And then at the same time, Alabamans hate Georgia and the Bulldogs, so they might they probably hate Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons and the Braves just because they're most required of them do. To. Yeah, they they mostly go for the Saints. So uh, right. exactly, you they're know, like, it's 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 a pretty unique look at it. And so number one, it's another one that was on your list too, the big one, Michigan, Ohio State. It's very similar. I know Auburn, Alabama has a little bit more of outside the rivalry people poisoning trees and killing each other. Like it's kind of hard to match that, that necessarily off the field. That's just because we've heard of those ones. We, there's might have been things that happened because of Ohio State, Michigan. That's not on this list. Exactly. And I know this has not been a rivalry for at all recently. Basically, considering Ohio State's won what is it like eight in a row now? Yeah, since 2012. So unfortunately, it sucks these days. And from what Ryan Day says, it's going to be a hundred to nothing this year. So let's. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, Michigan, Michigan, weirdly enough, leads the series 58-51-6 and has an 86 to nothing win over Ohio State. They've had 116 total meetings. Like, this is another one you kind of covered a lot of it. It alters between Ann Arbor, Columbus. They host an odd years, even years. Like, they have a schedule, basically, on it. The winner basically wins the Big Ten almost 9 out of 10 times because Penn State's occasionally all right. Iowa's occasionally all right, but... How many? Who else really? Northwestern, I guess, is pretty Wisconsin good. Wisconsin once yeah. in a while. Yeah, and usually the winner, if they don't go to the playoff recently, it's basically like, hey, you're going to the Rose Bowl, especially <laughs> in the 2000s. It's basically a guaranteed Rose Bowl bid. 
Yeah, definitely. And hell, even the winner, even the loser sometimes has a shot at the bro- the Rose Bowl. It was like especially if it's Michigan, since everyone loves Michigan so gosh damn much. Yeah. And the conference title is basically determined. I think it's twenty seven ish times. There's been. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know exactly, but this has had a lot of number one versus number twos as well, too. Yep. The yep. one that I go back to is in the 2000s when both teams were actually competent. The Jim game Tr- of the century. Literally, yeah. Jim Tressel and Lloyd Carr, two competent coaches. Number one versus number two, Troy Smith's Heisman moment, that play-action fake bond to Ted Ginn Jr. Just, I think it has a lot of things like that that stick out, too. Unfortunately, it's not recent. Like we said, it's not recently. Recently, I would give it to Auburn, Alabama the last 10 years. We go before that. That's splitting hairs here, but there's there's even a funny there's a funny thing I saw about this. So it's according to lore, there was a wager on the outcome of this game, and the yellow flowers on the blue background still exist today in the upper part of the stadium's rotunda, in uh, yeah, in Columbus. No way! They bet to put some flowers. <laughs> so in front of seventy one thousand fans, the the Wolverines posted another shutout. This was in nineteen twenty two. They shot him out 19 nothing. And according to Laura, there was a wager on the outcome of the game. And yellow flowers on a blue background still exist in that upper part of that rotunda. And then Michigan won the next five games where Ohio State started winning again. That You know what's funny about that? That reminds me of the Auburn-Alabama thing, how they passed the trophy. Yeah. So that originally started. The, there was a bet between the um, president of, like, the school, the school president, the, uh, the class president for Auburn and the class president for Alabama that the winner of, the, of that Iron Bowl – the other one, the the losing team's uh, pres- school like class president would come to, or SGA president would come to Alabama during the basketball Iron Bowl, and hand the st- the trophy over on that team's home game for the basketball Iron Bowl. So like if Alabama wins, Auburn's SGA president goes to Alabama, goes to Tuscaloosa, goes to the basketball stadium in the middle of the game halftime, hands the trophy over to the SGA president for the other school, and that's how they've always done it. And that's, that's kind of how that reminds me. It started in the same way, in a bet like that. It's crazy. And then, of course, we can't forget the 10-year war, Hayes versus Shem Beckler in the 60s, 60s, 70s, sorry, late 60s, early 70s. One of the most fantastic back and forth, and two of the more fantastic coaches ever. Exactly. And then, of course, for a while there, Michigan was dominated. Then Jim Tressel comes in, and his exact words basically rather stutter. He's like, yeah, I can assure you we'll be proud of our young people, and we're, we're going to beat them. That's basically what he said. And sure enough, there they came right in and started winning, consistently winning. Then it started, Lloyd Carr, once he left, it kind of went downhill for Michigan from there. I mean, I think it was Brady Hoke was after him, and then Jim yeah. Harbaugh. Yeah, it, has, it hasn't been too great in that regard. But yeah, There was a couple coaches between, what, Chessel and Urban, right? There was two, if I'm not mistaken? I believe uh, – Or was it – Is Chessel, Urban, then Ryan Day, I believe. I think that was – Oh, it was just – okay, one I after so. the other. I thought, for some reason, I thought there was one in between. Yeah, so that's kind of why I have it. And, of course, the game of the century. I mean, like that's yeah. – when you have a literal one of your games is known as a game of the century, it's hard to, for me to go against that one. The carousel of coaches, like we kind of just mentioned between 08 and 14, kind of took a little bit of heat off the rivalry. They haven't been as – Ryan Day looks fine. He's probably going to be there for a while if he wants. Jim Harbaugh is going to be gone after this year, possibly, hopefully. <laughs> for maybe, Michigan State, he'll be gone. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll see how it goes from there. But it's just kind of – when you think rivalry, it's a pop culture thing. It's almost like – no matter what you take take on sports, as you know this rivalry. I mean, I think ESPN rated as the top-rated college football rivalry at one point when they did it, too. It just has a different feel to it, I guess. When you hear Ohio State-Michigan, it's synonymous. It's like Duke, North Carolina, and basketball. Exactly. No, you're right. I mean, and this is, you mentioned national championships for, like, the USC-Notre Dame one. This one itself had, what, 17 combined national champions that come from this game? So it's like 
it means something nationally too. It's not just a, a regional thing. It's not just one that's there. Well, um, it did mean something nationally. Well, yeah, yeah. Now it's just like, well, how bad is Ohio State going to beat them? Unfortunately, I hate to say because I kind of, like you. I don't care for either team too much, but yeah, no, exactly. Any team that calls themselves the I just need uh, uh, just it takes you down a notch in my book. It's unacceptable, but I can't find it in my soul to root for Michigan. There's only one UN that needs to be rooted for, and it's not Michigan. No, exactly. But okay, so we've gone through the top five. Do you have any honorable mentions you can think of off the top of your head? Because I, I know I have a couple. I think the one I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say Florida and Florida State. I mean, it's literally a state versus a university. Like it's very simple. Florida. The only reason it's not really higher is they're in different conferences. Doesn't have the same vibe when they play each other. It's like oh that's fun. I guess like yeah. And at the same time, neither one when they play has been good simultaneously, at least for a long time. And it doesn't have any, I don't know, it doesn't have quite the same juice as a lot of these other ones do. But, of course, it's always fun. And there's so many other colleges. I mean, UCF, U, UA, there's all of them. Like, there's so many colleges in Florida and major universities. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I got to agree. I mean, that one's definitely one that's lost some of those tarnish for sure. Um, Florida uh, Florida State versus Miami is also that one of those, you know, along those lines. Um, Florida, Georgia, I could go with, but I'm not. Georgia, Auburn, the South's oldest, I could go with, but it's – to me, that one still lost a little luxer. Um, but no, the one I, I, I think is probably one of the more underrated uh, Division One games is Mississippi State Ole Miss, the Egg Bowl. Uh, it's one of the more fantastic ones just because it really, really means kind of nothing to the national implications of things. But boy, howdy, if you ask anybody in the state of Mississippi who won the Egg Bowl five years ago, and what the score was, and who the best player in that game was, they can tell you, without a doubt in my mind. They, they can, can tell you that entire person's family, their childhood, their favorite toy, everything. This is a story, like, honestly, the, the the Egg Bowl reminds me of just kind of those those two schools that get together that don't have a whole lot of pros on their team. They might have one or two. They don't have a whole lot of pros, but they are going to play some of the best football you've ever seen. I mean, they're going to leave it all on the field because they don't really care. They're greater than the sum of their parts, for sure. And the tailgating of this game, by the way. <laughs> fantastic. Ole Miss, you know what you're doing when you when you guys uh, tailgate. I, I'll give them that credit. Uh, but not a, a, a non-D1 that I can think of that is probably one of the more fantastic games to go to is the Classic in UAB. So what it is is Alabama A&M versus Alabama State. It is HBCUs versus each other. If anybody's ever been to an HBCU game, you know it's not just about the game. There is a show involved, and the classic is the show of all shows. The classic is fantastic. You will see people decked out in their gold, decked out in their maroon, and it is unbelievable to watch. It's one of the more fantastic games. Unfortunately, it's played at Legion Field, which I don't think gives them the absolute like environment they would need like to show off this game. I think this game is one of those ones that it could be definitely showed off in a better place. Um, send them to Atlanta and play the classic in Atlanta would be fantastic. But it is one of the more fantastic environments to go to and fantastic things to watch from just a point of view of just, wow, this is, this is something else. You know, it was, it was one of the more fun ones I've ever experienced. Um, but that's probably my two, my two honorable mentions. One other one I'll throw in there too, just, just because is Washington versus Washington state's another good one too. The apple cup, the apple cup. I mean, what a simple but effective name. It's another one on recently UW's absolutely blasted Wazoo a thousand times, but it's a two complete opposite sides of the state. Different. It's red versus blue, kind of similar to yours. 
they're separated by, I think, like nine hours, too. So it's the same state, but they're so far apart, so yet they're so different. And every year they collide, and it's literally this side or that side. It's just a fun one. And they're in the same conference, and oftentimes it could have some conference championship implications. Not as much recently, like we just said, because Wazoo's been getting blasted all the time, but it's just another fun one, too. Like, maybe not as nationally a big one like these Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama ones, but it's just another fun one that if you ever keep it on, it's like, oh, okay, that's a fun one. It's to the point where Wazoo's practically in Montana, too, and Washington is on the coast, on the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, so far away. <laughs> it's like two different places, but at the same time, they're in the same state and have so much fire in between. Seattle versus the mountains. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that actually, you know what? Honestly, you just brought another one to mind that it, interesting game. The Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, or the Nike Bowl, if you will, <laughs> uh, for some of those out there. The, the two Nike premier teams, you know, they just get all the fancy Nike gear, all the fancy Nike looks. Um, probably two of the more, meh schools out there yeah but and you know it's not like i'm not trying to take anything away from them i looked at both schools to go there but you know what honestly like no it's just a fun game though it's 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 an oregon game Um, exactly so that's that brings that to mind but in your mind which is probably one of the worst rivalries you can think of anything with you know i'm gonna go with ucla and usc i know it has kind of a cool back like it's kind of a cool back tradition like the battle of la the battle for los angeles a lot of stuff but it's just never a game that interests me. They're never both good at the same time. Neither team necessarily recently has been that good, or UCLA doesn't have a lot of past greatness, honestly, when I think back on it. like it's a As far as good rivalries, it's probably one of the worst ones, I guess. Like, it's obviously still a good one, but it doesn't have that same zing that all of these other ones we talked about. Even Wazoo and Washington, it's like, okay, that rallies a whole group of people. UCLA and USC, I feel like the only people I really care are alumni and people who go there. They, I don't feel like... The fans get as as invested in that, if that makes sense. Like, there's not as many just random fans are like, okay, get taking the day off to go to this game or setting aside time for that. It doesn't have the same luster, and it doesn't have big time implications usually. Yeah, there's too much stuff going on in LA for that game to even mean anything. Like, unfortunately, like most of those times the game happens on like days where there's a Rams game happening or you know, like a Chargers game happening. Let's say, like, yeah, there's a reason the Lakers and the Clippers wasn't exactly a rivalry until just now when you get LeBron and Kawhi, but the rest of their time, it's like, well, okay, that's fine, but when are the Lakers playing for the title? Yeah, and then uh, I know for me, it's, uh, I'm going to the Midwest, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I know you're an Oklahoma fan, um, but this is, uh, as OK State is, they, this is not a rivalry, I'm sorry. This is, a, a, the record of this game, in case anybody has not known, this, this game has been played 113 times. It is 90, 18, and 7. That is not a rivalry. That is a lot of repetition. Exactly. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't have to say any more about that. That is just awful. It's it's atrocious. Oklahoma versus Texas. Red River rivalry. Rivalry? Yes, please. Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. <laughs> Meh. No thanks. <laughs> exactly. But that does it. Anything you got? Final words, DJ? I can't wait till we get normal rivalry back. Rivalry week back. Say that five times fast. Yeah, can't wait till we get that back in normal and once this whole thing kind of blows over and vaccines taken care of and we can get back to normal sports. But uh, that does it for us today, guys. You know, have a, like I said, have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, everybody. See ya. I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. 
so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.